To the angel of the church in Sardis, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Today is a big day. All around the country, people are going to gather with their friends and their families and good food, and they are going to celebrate an event, one of the biggest events of the year. Today is... Actually, today's my birthday. <laughs> so, hey, thanks, Jessica. I appreciate it. Thank you. You guys are getting together and having parties tonight for me. I appreciate it. I feel really loved. Somebody told me there's also a football game going on tonight. Not really sure what that's about. But I was wondering who to root for in this Super Bowl. And so I figured, why not go to the scripture? That seems like a pretty good idea. And I came across Isaiah 40, 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like? That's right. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. Woo! Hey, mark my words, you heard it here first, the empire falls tonight, people, okay. <laughs> That's right, but if you're anything like me, if you stay up late hanging out watching a football game on a Sunday night, Monday morning comes pretty fast, and it is hard to wake up, is it not? Can I get an amen? All right, okay, so how many of you hit the snooze alarm this morning? I did, no shame, okay. How many of you just woke up immediately up like a rocket when your alarm went off? Okay, well done. How many of you didn't even need an alarm to wake up this morning? Y'all are the crazy people, okay? <laughs> My dad says there's two kinds of people in the world. There's morning people and people who hate morning people. <laughs> I am the second, okay? <laughs> Open your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter three today. Revelation chapter three. We're gonna be looking at the letter from Jesus to the church in Sardis, and here's the message in a nutshell. Wake up. Jesus tells the church that it's time to wake up. But waking up is hard, is it not? In fact, Mark and I went on an adventure to figure out just how hard it is for people to wake up. Take a look. Well, as you know now, Jesus tells the church in Sardis that it's time to wake up. And here at Plainfield Christian Church, we just want to be like Jesus. So Mark, what do you say we go, yeah, wake some people up? How do you want to do it? Uh, I think we need to find a few staff people okay. um, and see if they're ready to wake up. That sounds like a great idea. thinking maybe Billy Haskins. Good call, yeah. Uh, how about Eric Carter? That sounds good. What about Steve White? What time is now? It's time to go see Billy Haskins. Ooh. Outside of Eric Carter's house, it's time for him to wake up. 
How's it feel to get woken up, Eric? Like a million bucks. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to go get Steve. Wake up, Steve! Wake up, Steve! Do you remember what Jesus said to the church in Sardis? What? He said, wake up! <laughs> oh. He said, wake up, Steve. Steve, are we fired? You're insane, you're insane! Are, do we still have our jobs? <laughs> Who is here? Who is here? Who is this? It's you! So Steve says, this is my last sermon at Plainfield Christian Church. <laughs> uh, they didn't know we were coming, but they were great sports, weren't they? Yeah. So Jesus tells the church that it is time to wake up. But before he does that, he exposes the reputation of the church. That's the first thing we're going to look at today, the reputation of the church. Look at verse 1 there in chapter 3. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So from the members' perspective, this church was alive. It must have had a good reputation. Jesus says so. If you go up to a member from the church in Sardis and ask them, they'd say, yeah, we love our church. The music is great. The pastor's funny. They have all these great helpful programs that really, really help me out in my life. And yet Jesus has something else to say. They may have been alive from the member's perspective, but from the master's perspective, they're dead. The word here for reputation literally means name. They have the name of being alive, but they are dead. They've become a church in name only. You know, some churches are dead, and they don't even know it. The North Star that you see in the night sky is 323 light years away. That means that if that star died and went out, it would take us 323 years to notice. We would still see that star shining for 323 years before we'd even know it was dead. And that's what's happening to this church. It's like a chicken running around with its head cut off. Oh, sure, there's movement there. There's activity there. Something's happening. It may even look alive. But that thing's dead. And I wonder if the action in the church, the movement, the programs and activity has blinded them, and maybe us too, to the spiritual deadness underneath. Jesus talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You see, their religious activity masked the fact that they had no spiritual vitality, no life-giving relationship with Jesus undergirding their religion. They may look good to us. The church down the street, this church may look good. It may look fancy like they have everything together from the outside. But 1 Samuel 16 says, 
The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And the Lord looks at the heart of the church in Sardis, and he sees a dead man walking. So what happens to a church to make them die? If Plainfield Christian Church were to die in the next 10 years, what would be the cause of death? Let's do an autopsy. Let's examine the outside of the body first, our, our lives outside of this church building, the other days of the week. Well, spiritually, we die if we stop moving forward in our daily relationship with Jesus, if it becomes just another item on the t- checklist and not a life-giving daily relationship. Relationally, we die if we're unbalanced in our friendships. If we have all friendships with Christians and no relationships with non-Christians and we're not witnessing to anybody, then we die. And vice versa, if we have all relationships with non-Christians and no deep community and accountability with our Christian brothers and sisters, then we die. Emotionally, we die when we are more condemning and shunning to the sin of the world rather than brokenhearted in grief over the lostness of the world. Socially, we die when we care more about what other people think of our lifestyle and our faith rather than what God thinks of our lifestyle and our faith. Now let's look at the guts of the body. What happens in here, inside this church building? Well, we die when we start caring more about what style of worship we prefer rather than what would connect well with an unbeliever or help our fellow brothers and sisters worship well. We die when we care more about protecting our methods and our way of doing church rather than taking risks to win people to Jesus and expand the kingdom of God. We die when we stop evangelizing and start fossilizing. We die when we start wondering why people won't greet me instead of finding somebody to greet. We die when we care more about the stains from the coffee on the carpet rather than the person who's actually drinking the coffee. We die when we live more on past successes rather than present and future vision. We die when we care more about preserving our heritage than taking risks to break through to who Jesus Christ is calling this church to be right now. Church, we must be proactive about winning the lost. We must be proactive about growing every single day in our relationship with Jesus. We must be proactive about taking his light into the darkness. We must be proactive about about taking his word boldly into our world. If not, we'll become just like Sardis. A nice past, but no future. This church has gone from being a movement to a monument. They've gone from taking new ground to just settling down and homesteading on the ground that they took long ago. They've gone from taking a leap of faith to do the dangerous will of God to just doing church the way they've always done it. And look what happened. Little by little, week after week, they died. Understand that a strong history and a balanced budget and sound doctrine are wonderful things. But those things by themselves are not good in total indicators of whether or not a church is fully alive or fully awake. Because the good doctor has put his stethoscope on the heart of the church and he's looking for a heartbeat. But all he hears is the rattle of dead men's bones. It's time to get out the paddles and resuscitate this church. And yet, we can't bring a church back to life any more than we can raise the dead but the Spirit can. 
We just saw this picture of Jesus holding seven spirits and seven stars. The number seven is the number of perfection. So this symbolizes the spirit's perfect power over the church to bring the dead to life. The church may be dead, but it's a good thing our God has a specialty for resurrection. Amen? So let's look at his requirements for the church. First, he says, rouse from your sleep. Verse two says, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Rouse from your sleep, Jesus says. Wake up, don't pull those covers back over your head. Don't you dare hit that snooze button. I see you, wake up. And yet we've already determined that waking up is hard for some of us, isn't it? I found some alarm clocks this week that are good for people like me who have a hard time waking up. This first one is a flying alarm clock. When your alarm goes off, it launches this little helicopter, and the only way to shut the alarm off is to go catch it, get out of your bed in the process, and put it back on the alarm clock. That would wake me up. This next one is a dumbbell alarm clock, and the only way to shut the alarm off is to do 30 bicep curls. I would be stronger if I had that clock. This next one, when the alarm goes off, it plays music. But if you hit the snooze button on top, that button is electrified, and it will shock you. <laughs> Get out of bed. And this last one is my personal favorite. This is called the snooze and lose. It is wired over the internet to your bank account. Yes. And every time you hit the snooze button, it donates your money to an organization that you hate. <laughs> I'm telling you, I would be up at the crack of dawn every day if every time I hit the snooze button, it gave 10 bucks to the Chicago Cubs. <laughs> Amen? Thank you. <laughs> Waking up is hard, but Jesus tells the church, it's time to wake up. You know, this message to wake up would resonate deeply with the people of Sardis. You see, the city of Sardis had a reputation for being invincible. This city sat on a really high hill surrounded by steep cliffs. They had a strong wall. It was nearly impossible to climb up there. In fact, the city was so well fortified that those people in Sardis thought themselves to be invincible. But they were so confident that they got cocky and lazy. And so one time, the Persian army surrounded the city, but they thought, oh, we've never been defeated by a frontal attack. No big deal. They weren't afraid. So when a small group of Persian soldiers actually managed to climb the cliffs and scale the wall around Sardis one night, they found it totally unguarded. And they snuck in to destroy the city as the citizens slept. As if that was not enough, the people of Sardis did not learn their lesson quickly. About 300 years after that, another army surrounded Sardis. But again, the people of Sardis were so confident in their reputation as an unbeatable fortress that they got lazy. So yet again, while the people slept, a soldier managed to climb the walls and he found them unguarded. And yet again, the city was overthrown. So Jesus says to the church here, don't rest on past success. Your reputation's not enough. Don't get lazy. Don't fall asleep at your post. Wake up. You know, we have no record of the Christians in Sardis being persecuted they seem to have just coexisted, gone about their daily business alongside everybody else happily ever after without ever making a dent for the kingdom of God, without ever ruffling any feathers for Jesus. Satan did not have to attack this church through persecution because they were already asleep. Church, is this us? 
I pray that it's not. Jesus tells them to strengthen their works that are incomplete because they've stopped invading the enemy's territory and they've just laid down and gone to sleep there in the trenches. So what are you doing to take the light of Jesus into the darkness? What are you doing that makes a dent in the devil's territory? One old Christian said, some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. What if that was us? What if the devil was scared of us? What if this was a church where sinners felt welcome? What if this is a church full of people who shared the gospel with their neighbors? What if this was a church full of people who were following Jesus proactively every single day? What if this was a church where we prayed every day for the lost people that we know? What if this was a church where we cared less about our ideas and our preferences about how church should be done and more about how Jesus is calling us to turn Hendricks County upside down for him one relationship at a time? What if this is a church where sin was confessed, where repentance happened, every single day for each and every one of us where our jobs and our families and our social groups and the people that we rub shoulders with every day were changed because we shined the light of Jesus into the darkness. What if this was a church where the devil was so scared of the power of Jesus Christ being unleashed among us that he was terrified to come within a mile of this place? What if that was us? The church in Sardis, it was safe. It was tame lifeless. They were a respectable group of people whose faith was neither desirable nor dangerous to the world around them. They were decent church folks with a decaying witness and a dying ministry. The devil wasn't worried about the church in Sardis because he wasn't threatened by them. So when the devil looks at Plainfield Christian Church, is he threatened Wake up, rouse from your sleep. Secondly, he says, remember your salvation. Verse three, remember therefore what you've received and heard, hold it fast. In other words, remember when you were awake and alive. Remember this amazing salvation that you have been given. If they wanna be alive and awake, they need to remember what it was like when they first woke up. We read this verse earlier. In the ancient church, whenever you would baptize somebody, sometimes they would say this baptismal liturgy. We find it in Ephesians 5.14. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Because your baptism, your conversion, when God got a hold of you, it woke you up. It brought you to life. Scripture says that you died to sin and you came alive to the Spirit. So now, when you're tempted to gossip, wake up and remember that you've been saved from that and that the spirit living in you means that you're free to encourage other people instead of tear them down. When you're tempted to lie, wake up. Remember that you died to sin and that the spirit in you means that you can live an open, transparent life without fear. When you're tempted to chicken out and to not say the name of Jesus to somebody who needs to hear it because you're too embarrassed, remember that the Holy Spirit living in you means that you can be bold enough to share with other people what Jesus has done for you. When you're tempted to lash out at that person who made you angry, wake up and remember that the Spirit living in you helps you to be like God, who's rich in love, full of mercy, good to all, that you can be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. 
When you're tempted to be impatient, wake up and remember how patient God has been with you, how he saved you when you did not even deserve it. When you're tempted to be jealous and controlling and insecure, wake up and remember that you have been saved by Jesus Christ and that he is everything that you need, that he tells you who you are, that you are loved and valuable to him and that he sets you free to love people openly and freely. Wake up. Remember your salvation, that in the little everyday moments of temptation, the Holy Spirit wants to help you live a new, woken up, fully alive, totally free kind of life. Rouse from your sleep, remember your salvation, and thirdly, repent of your sins. The last half of verse three says, and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I come to you. You see, when we are living awake and alive, our conscience should be so tuned in to the moving of the Holy Spirit that every single day for us is this cycle of repenting from our sins and embracing the new life that Jesus Christ is giving us. So when's the last time you felt convicted of your sin? When's the last time you confessed a sin to somebody? When's the last time in a moment of temptation that you chose to do the will of God instead of following your selfish desires? If you don't remember, then you may be asleep. Remember how the city of Sardis was overthrown not just once, but twice because they were lazy and they didn't guard their walls? They didn't repent very quick, did they, from that first time? Well, if you don't repent, if you choose to stay asleep, then Jesus says he's gonna come and he's gonna judge the church. He'll end their effectiveness and he'll shut them down. So Jesus points out the reputation of the church, his requirements, for the church, and lastly, he points out the remnant in the church. Because the situation in Sardis is critical, but it's not hopeless. There are a few who remain faithful. First, he says, a few are walking with Jesus. Verse four, yet you have a few people in Sardis who've not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. A few of these people have not soiled their clothes. They haven't given in. Their robes are white. After major military victories, Romans would have what was called a triumphal procession. It was basically this massive parade to celebrate a military momentous victory. Well, in this triumphant procession, the citizens of the winning city would wear white robes. It was a sign of their victory. And the king who won the war would take the most prominent place in the parade. In our case, it's Jesus. And Jesus, our victorious king, is offering us, his victorious people, the opportunity to walk with him in this triumphal procession. He says that if we hold on, if we're not afraid to ruffle some feathers from him, to get our hands dirty for him, then he's going to wash our robes and make make them white in the blood of the lamb. We read that verse. And we're going to get to walk with him. He's going to give us the victory and we will be with him. So don't give in. Keep fighting. He says, if you were wearing the robe of righteousness, secondly, Verse five, the end of it says, or excuse me, the beginning says, the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. White robes are a sign of purity. So is this you? Are you staying faithful to Jesus and not dirtying your robes? What's your reputation among your friends? Do they know that you stand for Jesus, that you're different, that you're pure? Archaeologists have found inscriptions in Asia Minor saying that those wearing dirty clothes were not allowed to worship in the shrines because it was an insult to the gods. But like we just said, because of Jesus, we are dressed in white. He makes us worthy. We read this text a few weeks ago, Revelation 7:14. These are they who've come out of the great tribulation. 
They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. That's our story. And finally, a few were winning recognition of Jesus. The last part of verse five and then verse six says, I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. In other words, if we wake up from our sleep and we carry his name to the world around us, then he will carry our name before the father in heaven. If we are faithful to him in the trials of life now, he will be faithful to us before the Father. Jesus promises us this in Matthew chapter 10. He says, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. So will you acknowledge him? Will you speak of Jesus to the people that you know? This promise in Revelation not to blot out a person's name from the book of life likely alludes to a cultural practice back then where a city would have an official register of all its citizens. But if one of those citizens did something shameful and illegal to deserve death, then before the execution, that city would blot out the name of that person from their registry of citizens so as not to bring shame on the city. Here's the deal, guys. We did something to deserve death. We're all sinners. And yet, when we're washed clean in the blood of Jesus, he's not going to blot out our name. In fact, he gives us his name. We're called Christians, little Christs. He gives us his life. He died our death for us. So church, it's time to wake up. Some of you have never been alive before. Wake up. Come today, come talk to us. Find somebody in a green shirt. Some of you have been alive, but it's been a long time. And you can hardly remember what it felt like. Wake up. The night is over. The day is here. Jesus is calling our name, church. It's time to wake up. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for knowing us fully and loving us anyway. For your patience with us as we regularly go back to sleep and put you off and hit snooze again and again. Father, stir in our hearts an awareness to what you're calling us to do. Wake us up, Lord. We want to be fully alive for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.